G'day, I'm Martin Isles, and this is The Truth of It. And today I want to talk about three big lessons from the pandemic of the last two years. I know it's not quite over, but we're far enough along now, I think, to think about it a little bit more globally and in a little bit more of a big picture fashion. So therefore, I've reflected, and genuinely, these are three lessons that I have learned, having observed what happened over the last two years, and obviously being involved in it like all the rest of us. Um, this is an important lesson to do, an important exercise in life, to look at what happens, to discern the lessons, to try and gain wisdom from it, and to apply that wisdom for next time, so that we do better, and so that we become better people. And the three lessons I have are based on the fact that the pandemic brought with it three nasty things. Uh, they were, number one, fear. Number two, deception. Number three, division. And I have a lesson for each of those. But it brought fear because, and I think this is obvious, fear of death made a lot of us, a lot of people, irrational. Indeed, it still is. Deception, because getting to the truth of the matter was so, so difficult, always. Uh, between you know, the distorted information that was available even on social media, but in the mainstream media and everywhere, even basic facts were really hard to figure out. How hard was it to actually figure out what the death rate was because of the way that was all recorded and how difficult it was? Just basic things like that, let alone the more complex things that we've had to deal with around this pandemic. So fear and deception, but also, and this is really important, division because we turned against each other. Um, yeah, people blame the government and there was a lot of that. The government obviously did some dividing, but we divided against each other. And I'm concerned that many of us are still divided against each other. Now, I don't want to go into any more specifics than that, because I want to keep this at that general level. I don't want to start having an argument over who was more fearful, the people who were afraid of the vax or the people who were afraid of the, uh, the pandemic itself, or who was more divisive, the people who wanted the masks or the people who didn't want the masks. It just proves my point, right? Uh, that there is fear, there is deception, there has been division. Those three things have characterized, those, three, those are the three nasty things that have characterized this pandemic. Speaking biblically though, these three things are the tools of Satan. They are the tools, the hallmarks of evil. Uh, for example, Satan puts people in bondage through, quote, fear of death. That's Hebrews chapter 2. He is, quote again, the father of lies. John chapter 8, and, he, and the works of the flesh are, and I quote here, enmity, strife, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. That's in Galatians chapter 5. So straight away you see the connection, why I called these things nasty. Um, now in Job's day, there's an interesting parallel. Satan was allowed to send disasters, and we read there that he sent disasters with a very particular aim, and that was to, and I quote again, to make Job, quote, curse God and die. Those were the words of Satan himself. He's saying, that's what he's going to do. Um, he will curse you to your face. You know, that's, that's Satan's line. And there was a fire. There was a whirlwind. There were gangs of marauding bandits. Uh, there were plagues. Uh, and Job didn't succumb. The disasters didn't do Satan's work on Job. He stood firm and he didn't curse God to his face. He kept his faith and he didn't lose his focus. Now, that was not so for Job's wife. And this is not a particular criticism of his wife. The poor lady was in incredible and deep distress, like most of us can only begin to imagine. But she uttered the very words that Satan had used to describe his goal and his mission. She said to Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And it sticks out to you on the page when you read it, because it's what Satan had just said in the previous chapter was his end goal. And so she succumbed. She lost her perspective. The disasters that were sent did achieve the purpose for which they were sent, from Satan's point of view, on her. From God's point of view, it was to prove faith, which is what happened in Job. But see how she succumbed to the objective of evil. Uh, 
I want to ask a question. Did the pandemic do its evil work of fear, deception, division on me, on you, on us, even a little bit? And yes, I've seen all three of those things on both sides. I'm not just saying that to seem neutral, I'm telling the truth. I saw terrible examples of all three on both sides, fear and fearfulness. Uh, and I remember feeling a bit of fear as well in the early days of the pandemic. I was in America when it broke out and we didn't know nothing. Um, fear and fearfulness, deception and being deceived and, you know, cherry picking the information that proved our side and dismissing the rest and all that kind of stuff. But also the deception that was in most of that information anyway. Uh, and divisions and turning against each other, even against fellow Christians. It's been diabolical in the literal meaning of that word. But I said it taught me three major lessons, one for each of these diabolical outcomes. Firstly, on the subject of fear. I've been greatly convicted over the last couple of years on the biblical teaching of, over fear of death, which this period has made me really reflect on. It's true that the world is under a kind of bondage to the fear of death, living in fear of that day uh, and the specter of death raising its head as it did in the pandemic. And that's Hebrews chapter 2 when it says that through death, he, that is Jesus Christ, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, that's Satan, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. But see, by contrast, and note my words carefully here and don't be bowled over, but it's true, the Christian is happy to die whenever God wills it. Let me say that again, happy to die whenever God wills it. Let me show you what I mean. The Apostle Paul in Philippians, a man who was living with the prospect of death by martyrdom pretty constantly, pretty regularly, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you go, oh, how nice, what a lovely little motto, a lovely little saying, but he means it. He goes on and explains himself. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, in other words, if I'm not to die, he says, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard pressed or I'm torn between the two. My desire, he says, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He welcomes the fact that he will die when God is ready to take him. You know, there's that song that so many people sing all the time, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder how strongly we believe so much of what we sing and what we say. And I wasn't going to do this, but I am going to because it seems right. There's a really interesting quote, and I read this at the beginning of the pandemic in another segment. Um, and this just shows how that Christians in times past lived this very thing no fear of death. Uh, let me read you a segment from an article that I, that I had. It says, sociologist Rodney Stark has written about two historic plagues of the Roman Empire, the Antonine Plague of 165 to 180 and the Cyprian Plague of 249 to 262 AD. Between a quarter and a third of the population was wiped out and three emperors were struck down. During the first plague, the famous classical physician Galen fled Rome to his country estate and he stayed there until the plague subsided. But for those who could not flee, the typical response was to try and avoid any contact with the afflicted since it was understood the disease was contagious. Hence, when the first symptoms appeared, victims were often thrown into the streets where the dead and dying lay in piles. Bishop Dionysius recounted the events in Alexandria, Egypt during the Cyprian plague. Quote, at the, very, at the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the road before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread of the contagion and the fatal disease. Yet Christians sought to help the sick, 
even risking their own lives. As Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage put, no, sorry, as Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage put it, although this mortality had contributed nothing else, it has especially accomplished this for Christians and servants of God, that we have begun gladly to seek martyrdom while learning not to fear death. Now, the reference to martyrdom is that it seems they believed that if you transferred someone's disease onto yourself, uh, there was an enhanced chance that you were going to make them better uh, and thereby become a martyr, take their disease, save their life, right? So that's part of the thinking here. Um, but he says, they began gladly to seek martyrdom while learning not to fear death. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, tending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ and with them departed this life supremely happy for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbours and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and caring for others transferred their disease to themselves and died in their stead, a disease that seems in every way to equal to martyrdom. Now, obviously very different era, very different circumstances, very different needs in that uh, moment. But the reason I just read that was to show uh, just the attitude people used to have like the Apostle Paul. You know, no fear, no guilt, in life, no fear in death. The Apostle Paul says, you know, um, it's far better to depart and be with Christ. What a perspective. I've been really, really convicted by the gravity of that. Um, that's first, fear of death. Second, on the subject of deception. It isn't just you, okay? It really is getting very, very hard to uh, keep your head uh, and see things clearly in a crazy world. There are delusions, there are deceptions, there are deceits all over the place and things are not always what they seem. The question I think a lot of people have, and I get asked this a lot, is how do you continue to think clearly and see things clearly and not fall into deception? And here's the encouragement. You don't need to be a genius. Most people aren't geniuses. You don't need to study and find out and analyze every single deception that comes up because there's too many, you'll lose track. It just is way too hard. It is possible, however, to discern. It is possible to know when something isn't right. It's possible to know the right thing to do. How? Well, it's wisdom, right? One of the great Christian virtues. The Bible dedicates whole books to it. Um, we forget it, you know. We, we, we forget this whole virtue of wisdom. And the great thing is that wisdom comes from God to those who seek it. Solomon, he asked and he got it. In James chapter 1, we read this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Wisdom is one of the things that God loves us to ask because it means what should we do to do what is right to serve and honour God? How can we discern between that which is right and that which is wrong? And Solomon offered that up as the reason why he wanted wisdom. And in a crazy age like this, where there's deceits and deceptions everywhere, wisdom is so needed. And yes, knowledge does matter. The more we study the Word, the more we understand God's ways, the more our wisdom develops. However, it doesn't depend on IQ. It doesn't depend on so many of the things that you can in the natural uh, accrue to yourself. You know, you can study the Bible all you like, but without the Spirit of God, you can still be unwise. Um, your faith in God, your reliance on Him, and your earnest requests of Him in these matters will make the difference. Discernment is available for anyone. Ask of God, seek God, it is available. And yeah, a lot of smart people did a lot of dumb stuff. A lot of dumb people did a lot of dumb stuff. It wasn't the point. The point was, wisdom is available to all to discern and how we need that discernment in this day and age. Thirdly, on the subject of division, I want to repeat the works of the flesh from Galatians 5 to drive it home. I mentioned this, enmity, strife, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And that is what the pandemic did to us. 
Now, not all, not all divisions are unjustifiable. Sometimes it is over a matter of truth that is so significant that there's no way around it. And in such a case, it is tragic, but sometimes it had to happen, right? Sometimes there are hills to die on. Sometimes there are fights that you can pick. Uh, well, not pick, but that you have to fight when they come your way. But there are some things over which we simply cannot claim. Thus saith the Lord. There's not a Bible verse on the subject. There's not a clear biblical directive on the subject. All the circumstances are actually so complex and evolving that it'd be foolish to jump the gun and pretend we know. Um, to try to be dogmatic over those things and thus divide over them, that is sin. These are the things the Apostle Paul was thinking of when he said in Romans chapter 14, these things over which you can't say, thus saith the Lord, right? It's just one of those things where you've got to exercise judgment of conscience. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. He says, that's the important thing. If you don't have a thus saith the Lord, don't despise the other person for what they did. Uh, don't judge people for what they do. Understand that this is something over which, and this is far more serious, by the way, I have to give an account to God for my motive in this matter, for my conscience in this matter. And he says later on, one of the issues, he's got a couple of issues he mentions, which are these kinds of issues. Uh, one of them is over eating food offered to idols. And he says, don't, for the sake of food, or in other words, for the sake of one of these kinds of issues, destroy the work of God. And that's what happens. We turn it on ourselves, we fight, we split, we're destroying the work of God. We must be content to let people live with their conscience decisions and live with our own conscience decisions and continue to unite concerning what matters. And you know, with these simple principles, these simple lessons, what happens? Fear actually becomes real hope, real optimism and peace. Deception it can be discerned. It can be, we can still know the right thing to do, even in deceiving circumstances. And strife, well, it's ended, isn't it? Uh, there is unity over all that really matters. Next time, the goal is to be like Job, not Job's wife. Don't let, the, uh, don't let this nasty work be done on us, but actually withstand. And in this case, we could have withstood, withstood those three things. And I trust that Learning the lessons will help us as we go forward. If, and I trust not, but if something like this happens again, and it probably will, not the same thing, but something in another suit of clothes that, that has the same sort of principles behind it, um, you know, even if the rest of the world goes mad, this can help us. Just a couple of things before I go. First of all, you'll note that the Truth of It format is a little bit different, only one segment. The reason for that is that I'm gonna film in single segment episodes from now on, whenever I have something to say. It won't necessarily be weekly, it could sometimes be less and it could sometimes be more. These are single segment episodes from this time forward. Now, will there be any long form content in the future? Yes, there will. Stay tuned for some exciting announcements about that in the next couple of months. Second of all, uh, you might be surprised that I didn't say anything about the federal election. That's because I've said what I want to say in the selfie videos I did and also the uh, various posts uh, that have gone up over the last few weeks. If you missed any of it, simply go to our website, acl.org.au. And when you're there, uh, have a quick, uh, just click on the banner. There's a big banner at the top that says how to make your vote count. Um, just whack on that, click on that, and you'll see a whole list 
of uh, all of the resources that have gone out. For example, a list of all of the candidates who are Christians on various ballots around the country, a list of all of the political parties that are going to appear on the ballots around the country, and there's many of them ranked from left to right with a little bit of commentary about what each of them stands for. That should help you to discern the wheat from the chaff on the parties and not make a mistake in your preferences. Uh, but also uh, vote.acl.org.au, there'll be a link to that website there where I just described, um, and that will give you uh, a list of all the candidates in your area who have answered the ACL Christian Values Survey. That's a really great resource. There's also a video there from our National Director of Politics, Wendy Francis, where she will tell you how to vote in terms of how to allocate preferences, how do the ballots work and the, the technical aspect of that. There's a bunch of other stuff as well. So go to acl.org.au, click on the banner, how to make your vote count. It is all there. Of course, I'll have something to say after the election once we know the result. I'm Martin Niles, and that was the truth of it.